despair, poverty, racism, poor health, fear, addiction, self-destructive patterns. If you're alive and human, chances are you deal with one of these problems. It's easy to get fed up and defeated when over and over again you fail to escape the drudgery of a shitty job, the abuse that you may experience in a relationship, addiction, and the negative self-thoughts that you repeat to yourself on a daily basis. Maybe you at one point tried to change it. You went to church or you picked up one of those self-help books that guarantee that it's going to change your life. And still, nothing. I've been there. I'm still there in lots of ways from time to time. But what if I told you there was a surefire way to elevate yourself to higher states and achieve your goals and that the method was proven to be effective by the U.S. government? Well, you're in luck. I stumbled across a document that was declassified by the CIA and was released in September of 2003 that outlines a series of techniques that put you in direct contact with with what some people might refer to as higher states of consciousness or God or whatever. No, this isn't an episode of Stranger Things. This is 100% real. And you'll want to stay tuned for this episode of Hip Hop Anonymous. Yo, 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 what's good? And welcome to another episode of Hip Hop Anonymous, an ode to alternative thought and an attempt to shed light on the flaws of our mainstream beliefs. I am your host, as always, Dean Martian, professional free thinker, and I feel like I'm doing my due diligence to humanity when I push myself to learn new things, such as a dollar weighs exactly one gram. Totally random, but uh, it's the first fact that came to my mind today. Who's supposed to benefit from that, you might ask? I don't know. Maybe there's an aspiring dope boy listening to this, and, you know, they might be saying to themselves, am I giving away too much product in my bags? Am I beating myself out of profit? Well, now you know that all you have to do to check and make sure that your scale is working properly is to place $1 bill on it. How do I know this? Because, you know, I may or may not have done some shady shit in order to pay my way through college. But, uh, you know, that's another story. Some might call that sketchy. I call it uh, survival. So anyway, enough of that. I'm feeling extra rambly today. Uh, So before we get into today's topic, I have something that I need to set straight. I was in a hurry to start this podcast. I was afraid that I would talk myself out of doing it and that I would become, you know, that it would become another idea that I, you know, never took out of the planning phase. And I just, I couldn't have that. So I jumped right into making the first episode and I haven't really looked back since about five or six weeks ago. In doing so, I realized that I never really got the chance to describe exactly what this show is truly about. Or describe to you, the listener, what Hip Hop Anonymous is about. A while ago, I learned the concept of something called the Nine Battlefronts of Spiritual Warfare. The Nine Battlefronts are the areas, the nine areas of life, which um, we are spiritually assaulted on a daily basis. And these are the areas in life that we must be made aware of in order to achieve our goals and find happiness and become whole. The nine battlefronts are as follows in no particular order. One, economics. Two, education. Three, law. Four, entertainment. Five, labor. Six, politics. Seven, religion. Eight, sex. And nine, warfare. Each episode of this show is dedicated to exposing and discussing one of these nine battlefronts. That thought, you know, the thought is being that once you hear a new alternative to an old idea that you had, you can start to actually make real changes in your life um, that might be beneficial towards some form of growth. May it be spiritual, financial or whatever. So, for instance, in the first episode, I talked about education and how miseducation causes us to lose ourselves and be emotionally and intellectually dependent on figures of authority and how that's done through the school system. I like to call it the miseducation system. 
Episode number two was all about entertainment, particularly hip hop, and how hip hop was, you know, is derived from ancient spiritual systems and kind of mirror them in a lot of ways. Uh, They mirror uh, hip hop mirrors voodoo and Voldoon and Native American practices, even uh, Buddhism and how hip hop actually induces states of trance. And this has been proven scientifically. Um, And also the episodes kind of about how. I think empowering messages may have been removed from our music in an attempt to diminish us, you know, at the very least, and attack us kind of spiritually. Episode three was all about sex and understanding how the practice of monogamy was derived from an attempt to control humans that emerged at the dawn of agriculture and biologically why a person might cheat on their significant other. And how also monogamy is a system of patriarchy made to oppress women. I mean, uh, it's it's a lot more than that. And I know it sounds kind of crazy, but it's just a tough, it's a tough like sell for real. So if you're a little curious about it, just I just asked you to go back and listen to it. Formulate your own beliefs. Uh, and episode four, the most recent one before this was about our financial system, uh, how it works, how money is created how banks function and how it affects the psyche of human beings and how we might overcome it in the future. And, uh, so the other thing was, why do I call the show hip hop anonymous? Because I often condense these controversial subjects down into hip hop verses that I sometimes play at the end of episodes. Um, and also you, we've all heard of the group anonymous, right? Uh, I am not in any way affiliated with the group Anonymous, but the concept of the show is somewhat subversive, meaning that I take ideas that we once believed in and I kind of turn them, well, that I once believed in, and I turn them upside down in an attempt to make people think differently about them. So it's very much like hacking, but in the form of conversation and in sometimes hip hop, right? So it's almost like, the anonymous of hip hop, hip hop anonymous. It may not be the best title, but it's the one I'm keeping. Damn it. Cause I like it. So, whew, all right. So I feel better now. I got all that off my chest and out of the way. With all that being said, we're going to get into the fifth battlefront, uh, which is the topic of today's episode religion. Oh, wait, I thought this was going to be about manifesting my best life and whatever. It is. But in order to do that, I feel we first have to understand how many of us have reached this lowly state in the first place. Why don't we already lead our best lives? Much like the last four episodes, we're going to come to understand that in order to tap into our innate divine nature, that we must let go of certain beliefs that that I feel um, are detrimental to our spiritual growth and reaching our highest potential spiritually and even intellectually. Um, I was going to save this episode for last, but I think the middle of the season is the perfect place. So without any further ado, let's just jump right in. What is religion? This discussion, I think it's, it's kind of rooted in this question. And it's um, not in this question. I guess it's rooted in the difference between religion and spirituality as far as I'm concerned. One of these things is the equivalent to a straitjacket that keeps us bound and looking for answers. One of these things is a life vest that helps us navigate the tumultuous water of life and stops us from sinking into the abyss of depression, ignorance and miseducation. Which one are you most influenced by? And what are the differences between the two? So first, we're going to talk about religion. Religion is defined as the belief in and reverence for supernatural power or powers regarded as creating and governing the universe and or a particular variety of such belief, especially when organized into a system of doctrine and practice. There's far too many religions to discuss them all so I'm not going to but I will be focusing on one that I have the most experience with and that's Western Christianity particularly in America so back when the colonists arrived on the shores of America 
they were determined to flee religious persecution in England. They wanted to worship the way that they wanted to worship without the interference of the government and the church. And then things went from zero to 100 real quick. The Puritans established a set of beliefs that they thought were going to lead the rest of the world by example. Uh, These beliefs were to act as a guideline for living a holy life. And these beliefs, most of them, if not all of them, are entirely batshit crazy. The people who believed this stuff were often called the Puritans. So what are some of the things that these people believed? How did they function fundamentally? One concept that they believed in was original sin. And it was the idea that humans by default were essentially in debt with God. So, you know, so to speak anyway. And this was because that Adam and Eve were evicted from the Garden of Eden for disobeying him. And they were the first people. And we're descendants of all of them. Therefore, we've inherited their state of being cursed by God. I don't know about you, but that sounds entirely logical to me. JK. Uh, So they, they also believed that the devil was a real being that was just lurking around all the time and trying to attack us and tempt us and possess us. The devil was literally on the hunt at all times. You want to learn to play the fiddle, eh? Well, you must be possessed by the devil because it was an instrument created by Satan himself in order to make people commit to the very sinful sin of dancing. And I, oh, I, I best not see you shaking your hindquarters or it's three days in the stockade for you, Nathaniel. And I didn't see you uh, in church on Sunday, Ezekiel. So guess who's getting 10 whiplashes to the back? That's right. You, you filthy sinner. And I'm doing this because God loves you, nigga. And for the love of all that is holy, if any unmarried man dares to think of bringing his dirty, filthy dick into this town... He better be fucking married. And if not, you better get permission from the church to bring your ass over here. You feel me? I know what you're trying to do. You ooh, you, you fucking, you perverts trying to come in here and look at delicious breastuses that don't belong to you. Everyone knows that breasts are an instrument of Satan. The, the devil's punching bags aren't, they ain't going to do anything but land you in an uncomfortable seat. An eternal lake of fire, hellfire, evil, dirty, delicious titties. <laughs> oh, boy. That sounds fucking crazy, the shit that I just said. And I said it like in a jokingly, you know, mocking tone. But these are all based off of beliefs that Puritans actually thought were real. Like, Google the shit. I don't got time to fucking read all this reference to you. But it's it's really interesting to think what they thought. So... Uh, the only thing that would save your sin-filled corpse from burning and rotting in hell was to repent your sinful nature and submit to the irresistible grace of God or you die. Very graceful. So as you, you know, probably know, when the Puritans arrived here in America, there were native people here already that we might refer to as the Native Americans. And ironically, these Puritans, they seem to be okay with eventually murdering, you know, and colonizing these people because of a concept that they referred to as manifest destiny. Manifest destiny is the idea that Europeans were chosen by God to rule the world and they, they're better than everybody else. Okay. Go USA. I mean, Puritans. Uh, and even more ironically, they heavily practice religious conformity. As a matter of fact, it was required in order to be saved by God's grace. So basically anything or anyone that wasn't based in puritanical beliefs was considered the devil or evil somehow. And they were subject to being exiled from the community, you know, or tortured or, you know, uh, burnt at the stake. Um, They practiced godliness also in the form of endless work. And worship and sermons were a huge part of their lives. Uh, 
They listened to as many sermons as they could, and they would often travel for miles in order to hear the word when they weren't working or sleeping or whatever the hell it is they did. So essentially, what I'm trying to say is that these people were not allowed to experience life in a very full way at all. Just burped. Uh, They worked, they worshipped, they kept their heads down until they died, or they died. You know, um, which brings me to a really interesting thing. The Salem Witch Trials. Follow me here for a second. So in late 1692, in Salem, Massachusetts, two cousins, nine-year-old Betty Paris and 11-year-old Abigail Williams began behaving very strangely. Violent convulsions, loud outbursts began to happen to them. The doctors didn't find any physical evidence um, of what was wrong with them, so he simply just diagnosed them with something called bewitchment. Sounds very scientific. Shortly after that, other young girls in the community also began experiencing similar symptoms. Fevers, convulsions, supernatural visions, itching, tingling, and burning of the skin. At this point, everybody's freaking out and neighbors are starting to turn on one another and everybody was potentially a witch. So um, ways that they, how did they know who was a witch? One of them was um, accusations. Accusations by children, especially, were considered to be proper evidence, which, first of all, that's like the, it's just crazy because when, when I was a kid, me and the other kids in my neighborhood, for whatever reason, we just decided that this dude across the street was a pedophile. We were just like, he touches kids. I don't know where it came from. I'm 100% sure we just made the shit up to be, I don't know, I don't even know why. I don't know the intention at all. That's like us telling the adults, like, this dude's a pedophile. And then they all just grab pitchforks and, like, torches and kill this guy and A-Town stomp his face and shit. These people were literally, these kids had vivid imaginations. They'd be like, hey, you know uh, Susie, Sally Mae over there? She's a witch. And then they would, like, literally take take her to trial. It's the craziest shit ever. So another thing that they use as evidence was a witch cake. And a witch cake was just a cake with um, with a little pointy witch hat on top of it and a fake nose with a word on it. Nah, I'm just kidding. That was the stupidest joke ever. I don't even have kids and I'm making dad jokes. <laughs> but anyway, a witch cake was actually a normal, a normal ass cake, except it was baked with urine, piss, Okay, and then they would feed this cake to a dog. Seriously, and if the dog ate the cake and then this dog also experienced similar symptoms to the person that was accused, you know, like the symptoms we talked about, this person was clearly a witch and they would just be executed. So another way that they determined if someone was a witch was something called spectral evidence. And basically, if you had a dream about your neighbor and in that dream your neighbor was a witch, they were most likely a witch in real life, which is just, anyway, I don't even want to comment on it. So the world was, was, and still is a very frightening place. And most religions were started as a way to explain away these unexplainable things like illnesses and death and natural disasters. People having weird symptoms like the people in this Salem town or whatever. And it was usually required um, that an individual reach outside themselves and ask God for help and guidance and clarity or forgiveness um, in order to make this world a less terrifying place. Religion was, you know, originally created to, to... help this in a lot of ways to help this fear but then it kind of became this method of controlling people and their actions and this was done by figures of authority mainly the church and it was the best way for the religious elite to stay powerful and wealthy by keeping ignorant people in the dark thinking for yourself period was just a sin now you may not believe this type of crazy shit today, such as witches and spectral evidence and all these, and that uh, you know you, you can't just drive into Pennsylvania if you're from another town or another state 
and just be like, oh, I'm here, I'm not married, but I have to get permission from the church. You know, that stuff does not happen anymore. If you're a Christian, you know, it's not something you believe in anymore, but you have to understand and acknowledge that this is where your faith comes from. It's rooted in these principles and ideas. And especially if you live in the United States, the idea of faith in lieu of knowledge in general is very much a Western idea. We believe that the American dream is real and that it'll reward people who work hard and keep their heads down and have faith, you know, that things are just going to work out. You know, we hope that it grants us happiness instead of, you know, searching for happiness and meeting and life all on our own. We won't do that. Many of us, even if we're not religious anymore, we still develop a lot of these head down, pay attention to authority behaviors. So even when we manage to escape this fear that's rooted, you know, in us that are that are placed there by figures of authority with these weird types of beliefs, and we start to actually break free and search for things ourselves, it's hard because this is foundationally where our minds are, are grown. We haven't been endowed with any actual practices that truly teach us how to become free and, and happy on our own. We've already been intellectually and spiritually circumcised to some extent is what I'm trying to say. And to put it another way, um, a part of us has just been removed from the earliest beginnings of our lives. So we're, we should now talk about what spirituality is. And um, just as a, a precursor or like a little bit of a disclaimer, I will mention the dates of the Salem witch trials as 1961, 1962 and whatnot. But I'm I think it's just dyslexia. Anytime I say 1960 something, I actually mean 1690 something. So anyway, let's move forward with spirituality. So what is spirituality then? Spirituality is what we hope to attain from religion, but often falls short. To describe what it is, let's see. How does and, and, and also, how does it differ from religion? In regards to this question, I heard something that really touched me, and it was said by a man named Sadhguru, one of my favorite humans slash gurus slash spiritualists on the planet. He says that when humans become aware that we don't know something, it's our nature to find out what it is we don't know. The desire is at the beginning of all of our achievements as humans. It is the very desire that religion has kind of locked up and deemed to be evil. Sadhguru says that the moment that we say, I'm religious, you become a believer, which by default means you give up on your own drive to know things because knowing is the enemy of belief. In regards to religion, anyways, you know, uh, if you're allowed to think for yourself, you might stumble upon the thought that it's absurd to think that the fiddle and dancing are both created by something called the devil. You might begin to wonder why a just and loving God may try to teach you know, you his infinite love and wisdom through pain and suffering and then torture you because you fail to receive this message. You may think, hey, how can people claim to love God, come to a new land and displace the people whom are already here with violence and sickness and then justify it with a childish concept like manifest destiny? When you become a believer, everything that you don't know, instead of finding the answer to these questions, you immediately fabricate fabricate the answers to these questions. You just make them up. You'll say it's because of God. Why does the sun shine? God. Why am I stuck at this shitty job? God. Why am I in this bad relationship? God. Why am I sick? You know, you get what I'm trying to say. God's the answer to everything. Why need to fix anything? Just let go and let God. <laughs> That's a terrible impression, but anyway, uh, no need to think about it is what they're trying to say. It's a very hands-off approach to life devoid of any real sense of responsibility and when i say responsibility i literally mean the ability to respond to outside circumstances 
you don't just seek for, but you need some sort of outside authority to handle the problems in your life. In spirituality, it's a little different. In spirituality, truth is the only authority. Truth is the only compromise that you're willing to have. Spirituality was started long before religion and is the basis in many ways, or is the basis uh, in many ways to science. To investigate and find truth. It's a way that you're going to be able to dig deeper into yourself. And at the end of the day, the only thing we ever truly experience is ourselves. Even when we see and observe things in the physical world, it's biased because we filter everything through our personal experiences and sensations, our five senses. Even the food that we eat can act as an example kind of of this concept. Some people, for instance, hate cilantro. They say it tastes like soap. Well, fuck you, because cilantro, to me, is delicious. That's just how I experience it. That's my truth. I don't need a church to say cilantro tastes like soap and therefore if you eat it, the devil is going to kill you. Like, no. Personal experiences are like Windex to a dirty mirror. They can be used to gain more understanding and wipe away the residue. See, see better. You know, the truest versions of ourselves. We want to be able to see that more and more. Not just yourself, but everything around you as well. Take the Salem witch trials, for example. Since we talked about the Puritans earlier, remember the Salem witch trials and all the ridiculous shit that they attributed to the devil and witches? Turns out, they may have all just been high. Seriously. Look, in 1961 in Salem, just before the witch trials, which happened in late 62, there were especially heavy rainfalls, which made everything understandably much more moist than usual, including crops. One of those crops was rye, a grain that was highly susceptible to a to something called ergot. And it, ergot is a type of fungus that grows on crops, and it's especially fond of rye. Ergot contains the primary ingredient of lysergic acid, or LSD. Okay, a, a really strong psychedelic drug. This lines up exactly with the Salem Witch Trials, time-wise, because the trials took place in 1962, when people would have been consuming the grain from the previous harvest, that heavy rainfall, and um, there was a drought following uh, the following year, in 1963, which killed that bad batch of rye, and coincidentally, that's when the trial of suspected witch witches just stopped. So the, you know, a lot of people, in my mind, I used to think the Salem witch trials was just something that was like kind of always going on during the Puritan era. It wasn't. It only happened for a year. So people at the time were aware of ergot back then, but they had no idea it was poison. They thought it was just like like burn marks from the sun because it looked black. Symptoms of ergot poisoning are, guess what? Fever, itching, and burning of the skin convulsions and hallucinations or these spectral visions and and uh like psychic phenomena of people that they thought they were seeing so without science they they wouldn't have known this right but they might have been able to develop their awareness of such things um, much earlier had they not been subject to such silly religious beliefs and oppression in the first place and I feel that this is a perfect way to show the difference between spirituality and religion. Okay, so let's move forward. Practices and systems that employ the use of spirituality and spiritual sciences, uh, yoga, voodoo, anything that really involves meditation, Buddhism, Taoism, and much more. So what does this have to do with changing your life on an individual you know, level? Because Puritan beliefs, whether you know it or like it or, you know, whatever, they're the foundation of many of our just baseline beliefs here in America. We tend to have a lot of blind faith in our authority figures instead of searching for truth on an individual level. Like we got like this, this results, you know, in the poisoning of society in a lot of ways, much like ergot. How many Salem witch trials have we had because of silly beliefs that are based in prejudice and fear? Beliefs that leave us in a delusional state of repetitive behaviors and belief that uh, 
that our destiny is out of our hands and somehow predetermined by some invisible force. In actuality, nobody is coming to save us. And it's our responsibility or our own ability to respond that's actually going to save us. Not saying that there is no God. That's contrary to what I'm saying, actually. This doesn't mean that there's no God. It just means that God has already equipped us all with the tools to take charge of our own lives. We don't need to reach out to this thing. It's inside of us all the time. We're not disconnected from God. There is no original sin. What's the purpose of your life? How can you clean the mirror from all the debris so you can see yourself clearly? To take words from the wise Sadhguru once again, life is like a bicycle. A bicycle on stands that sits on the top of a hill. So, for instance, let's just say you hop on this bike, but you've never ridden a bike before, but it's okay because the bike is sitting on like some sort of pegs or braces or something. So you feel, you know, you feel safe to just jump on top and um, put your ass on the seat, put your feet on the pedals, you know, just pretend that you know how to ride a bike for a while. And as you're sitting on the seat, suddenly the bicycle falls off of its stands and begins to roll down the hill. You're anxious, and as you roll down the hill, you begin to roll a little faster. So now you're frightened. The bike moves a little faster, and then you become terrified. But imagine that this same scenario is happening, but instead this time, it's happening to someone who knows how to ride a bike. Remember, a bike is just a machine, a complex machine to some people, that can be mastered with a little bit of practice. A person that knows how to operate the pedals and steer and maintain their balance and knows how to slow down and stop, this person would most likely find more enjoyment the faster that they go because they know how to operate this device. They put in time and practice. This is how our life functions. And many of us simply don't know how to ride. Our mind and body is a complex device. Have you learned to ride yet? I haven't. In the West, um, we've not learned to ride very well. We hope that school and patriotism and the biggest thing, religion, will instruct us on how to ride. But what was touched on earlier, religion doesn't do such a great job at guiding us. Now, I don't you know, want to diss religion entirely. There are some very important things that it has to offer, like in scripture, to some extent, and, and community and whatnot, and donation and charity, but... Is the focus on sharpening the tools of self-discovery? Is the, sh- is the focus on learning how to manage yourself and your emotions and, and live a way that you can be joyous and, and completely clear of what you're doing to see the world for what it really is? In spiritual practices, there's a focus on going back to the instruction manual. And at this point, you're curious at probably, you know, where do I find the manual? Now that we've established the difference between religion and spirituality, I think we can have this, you know, a real conversation on those tools that we talked about. Tools that increase our ability to respond to the things that life throws our way. Tools that are in alignment with truth and discovery, not just belief. Recently, we've seen this huge surge of popularity centered around yoga and meditation and spirituality as a whole. Using the law of attraction to manifest your best life and using vision boards is becoming very commonplace. Like every day, I see it more and more. There's a ton of people out there who might refer to this as woo-woo, you know, a term that's used to describe essentially made-up nonsense. And I'm here to tell you that this stuff is not woo-woo, and the U.S. military thinks so as well. June 9th. 1983, a letter was sent to the commander of the U.S. Army Operational Group at Fort Meade in Maryland. The subject of the letter was the analysis of something called the Gateway Process, a set of practices and techniques one can use to transcend the boundaries of reality and the three-dimensional world, a state that is very similar to the states that we've learned about from spiritualists and gurus for hundreds, even thousands of years, you know? 
The letter goes a little, well, it starts like this. It's, it's several pages, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but here we go. Quote, you tasked me to provide an assessment of the gateway experience in terms of its mechanics and ultimate practicality. As I set out to fulfill that tasking, it soon became clear that in order to assess the validity of the practicality of this process, I needed to do enough supporting research and analysis to fully understand how and why the process works. Frankly, sir, that proved to be an extremely difficult uh, and involved business. Initially, based on conversations with a physician who took the gateway training with me, I had recourse to the biometrical models developed by Ishtak Bentov to obtain information concerning the physical aspects of this process. Then I found it necessary to delve into various sources for information concerning quantum mechanics in order to be able to describe the nature and functioning of human consciousness. I had to be able to construct a scientifically valid and reasonably lucid model of how consciousness functions under the influence of the brain hemisphere synchronization technique employed by Gateway. Once this was done, the next step involved recourse involved recourse to theoretical physics in order to explain the character of time, space, dimension, and the means of by which human consciousness transcends it in achieving gateways objectives. Finally, I again found it necessary to use physics to bring the whole phenomenon of out-of-body states into the language of physical science to remove the stigma of its occult connotations and put in a frame of reference suited to objective assessment. I began the narrative by briefly profiling the fundamental biomedical factors affecting such related techniques as hypnosis, biofeedback, and transcendental meditation so that, their so that their objectives and mode of functioning could be compared in the reader's mind with the gateway experience as the model of its underlying mechanics was developed. Additionally, I, the introductory material is useful in supporting the conclusions of this paper. I indicate that at times these related techniques may provide useful entry points to accelerate, accelerate movement into the gateway experience. He goes on to explain... The physics of altered human consciousness deals with some conceptualizations that are not easily grasped or visually exclusive, uh, exclusively in the content of ordinary left brain linear thinking. Parts of this paper will require not only logic, but a touch of right brain intuitive insight in order to understand, end quote. Um, so basically... I'm not going to read this letter word for word for word, but I'm I'm going to examine some of the stuff that he's talking about. And essentially, he's writing this letter to his commander at Fort Meade and saying, "Hey, I know um, here's my report on what it is that I learned during this gateway process, which seems to be a process of understanding different modes of consciousness um, and how our brains are affected by these techniques." To make a long story short, so. Um, I'm going to get into some of these things that he talks about and not all of it because it would be like a three hour long episode. I'm trying to keep it, you know, manageable. And then I'm going to get into how you can use some of these techniques to elevate your consciousness and how they relate to practices that you might be familiar with already. So let's get into this shit. There was something said about using your not using your left brain to understand some of the things that were going to be said in this paper and what does that mean before i can talk about this gateway process we got to understand a little bit about the brain particularly the left brain and the right brain in short the left brain is the part of the brain associated with um logic it's it's the part of our mind that dominates western society it's the only thing that they really ever prop up and teach you in school. The left brain is literally the it's it's the left hemisphere or the left side, you know, of your brain because the brain's bisected and it kind of looks like a walnut or a nutsack. It's got two parts split in the middle and this is the left side. It's the part associated with logic, linear reasoning. It functions by screening everything that you encounter in your life and categor categorizing it and assigning it meaning before it allows the thought or stimuli to enter into the right side of your brain. For instance, 
we've learned to associate shady dealings with back alleys or dark alleys. So if you're walking down the street and somebody's in a dark alley and says, hey, you, can you help me? And your left brain will be like dark alley. And you'll be like, well, and it'll pull up a Rolodex of things about dark alleys. And it'll be like, well, dark alleys are shady. Even if the person needs help or there's not anything shady going on, your left brain protects you from going down there. And it goes to your right brain and says, don't fucking go down there. Okay. The right brain is, uh, oh, well, before I go on there, the left brain I wanted to say is like extremely um, prejudiced in a lot of ways. It's where a lot of our prejudices are reinforced. Okay. So the right brain is where much of the magic is going to happen. The right brain is non-critical. It's creative. It's holistic. It includes kind of everything. It sees how things are connected, not how they're different. It's nonverbal and it's pattern oriented. For example, the Wright brothers, you know, tell people that they want to build a flying machine. The left brain hears these words, swirls them around and comes up with the very logical response. People can't fly. Right. But the Wright brothers, they use the power of their right brain to pull up a new, unique and creative solution from nowhere. It doesn't exist yet. They had to make it. And now we all take airplanes on a regular basis. It's not weird to say at all. It's become normal. And now the left brain, when you say something about a flying machine, it's now it can now accept it. The left brain helps us survive in lots of ways, but it's super limiting. The only things that have ever been truly unique and creative come from our right brain. And the work aspect is simply assisted by the left brain, you know. Um, And this brings us to the first three techniques mentioned in the gateway process document and the only three that I really am going to have time to talk about today. So the first one is hypnosis. As we mentioned, the left brain is a negative Nancy. And the only thing that it's really good for is completing very simple, logical, you know, logic based tasks. It also keeps us grounded in our reality. But if the left brain can be distracted through, you know, boredom or some other external stimuli or during a sleep state, suggestions can be passed into the right brain and your mind will accept these suggestions as truth where, you know, you can now act upon them as truth. And this is why people can use hypnosis to quit smoking. You shut your left brain down during like a trance inducing state and you tell your right brain all these suggestions like you don't like smoking. Smoking's gross. Do you really want your lungs to look gross? And do you want to get sick? Smoking causes cancer. It reinforces all these things into your into your being. And suddenly, you don't want to smoke anymore. But it's claimed that you can even induce states of euphoria, speed up the healing process, and more with this technique. So that's hypnosis. And that's the point of hypnosis and kind of the basis of everything having to do with spirituality um, is shutting down your left brain, making your right brain more susceptible to, to a new idea. And then the right brain really incorporates that into the way you function every day. Transcendental meditation is the second one. Transcendental meditation is a practice um, of breathing techniques combined with focus. And it's the basis of drawing. uh, It's based on drawing energy up the spinal cord in order to achieve states of clarity and bliss. Essentially, without getting too specific, it's taking deep breaths um, that are concentrated and it sends vibrations throughout the fluids in your spinal cord and your brain cavities. And after some time, these vibrations begin to resonate and bounce back and forth from the base of your spine up to your brain in in a particular rhythm that creates communication between both hemispheres of your brain and unites them together, which results in states of bliss, feelings of wholeness, clarity, calmness, increased healing abilities, and pleasure, etc. The only problem, though, with this type of meditation is said to, it's said that it takes years of study and practice. But, Exposure to mechanical or acoustical vibrations can cause some of these effects in much shorter amounts of time. What does this mean? If you're exposed to vibrations between 4 to 7 hertz, that's vibrations that occur uh, 4 to 7 cycles per second from, from one another. Not, not sure if I'm saying that right, but whatever. Uh, it can induce this effect you know, after just a couple of minutes. So how do you do that? How is that something that you can do? This can happen when you're riding in your car where the shocks and the seat 
kind of bounce in a particular way and it lies between the range of four to seven hertz. It's kind of why like you can get highway hypnosis, right? You're driving for a really long time. You're on and, and, and you start to hear the hum of the road, gentle bounce. Next thing you know, you're where you're, you're like 10 miles down the road. Don't remember how the fuck you got there. Or you get really sleepy while you're driving. This can also be caused by the hum of an AC. And you can also actually look up music or beats on YouTube that are a certain amount of hertz. You can just search the hertz that you're looking for. And um, it's said that all these things can trigger a kundalini trance in people that are especially sensitive to this phenomena. All right. And number three is biofeedback. This is this is really, really interesting to me. So biofeedback achieves similar results as the first two, but in a very different way. Instead of undergoing hypnosis or meditating, this method involves thinking of a desired outcome and imagining what it would feel like if the outcome were already happening. It, it doesn't suppress the left hemisphere of the brain, but instead uses its powers to pass suggestions onto the right hemisphere unchallenged. And this is done with visualization and imagination. An example of this is something that doctors might refer to as psychosomatic response or the placebo effect. It's related to the idea that if you think you're sick and genuinely believe it, you might actually begin to feel sick. And this is kind of, you know, I talked a bunch of shit on religion, but I didn't talk shit on the Bible necessarily. Some of the Bible stuff is a little weird and can be mistranslated, but some of the shit makes sense. Something like um, the power of belief can get you to move mountains. If you believe you can do something, you actually can do it. Um, Also, the idea of not speaking things into existence that you don't want to happen. Your words have power. So if you say things or believe things, they can happen, right? So anyway, more on this like placebo effect and thinking you're sick and then feeling sick. And They do this all the time in drug trials. I remember reading this story of this woman who is taking part in a drug study for this new antidepressant, right? She was horribly depressed. I mean, it was affecting her life in the worst ways imaginable. And so she decides to, you know, take part in this study for a new drug. Half of the participants in this study were going to get the real drug, and the other half were going to get a placebo or a fake, right? Sugar pill, something that doesn't have any drugs in it at all. So no matter what group you're in, all, you know, participants were told to avoid chocolate. They didn't know whether you got the placebo or, or the real drug, but they said just in case don't take chocolate, don't eat it because it could cause temporary blindness as a bad reaction, right? Just in case you got the real drug. So this woman, she's participating in the study, she's taking the pills and after a while, her crippling depression begins to fade and she feels happier than she's ever felt in her entire life. Her job doesn't seem as seem as burdensome as it did before. Her coworkers notice this new side of her. Her relationship with her boyfriend begins to get better. And one day she needs to be sure. She wants to know if she's actually found happiness uh, because of this drug or if this is all in her mind. She doesn't know yet. So one day to test her, you know, her, her curiosities, she eats a giant chocolate bar to see what's going to happen. And then after a few moments, slowly, her vision starts to fade. And to her dismay, she's blind after a few minutes. And she starts freaking out. And she goes to sleep. She wakes up and she can see again, like the next morning. Or takes a nap or something. Either way, it doesn't matter. Fast forward to a few weeks later. It's the end of the study. She goes back to the clinic and she tells the doctor, Man, you you weren't kidding about that chocolate. I I know I wasn't supposed to do it, but I ate some and I, I went blind. Like, I went blind as fuck. Only to be told that she was actually taking the placebo the entire time. The relief from her depression... The blindness, this was all a product of biofeedback, i.e. she made it all up in her own mind from the start. She believed that she was, she actually did believe that she was taking the antidepressant, so she stopped being depressed. And because of that, she, you know, her left brain accepted it. And her left brain also accepted that she would go blind if she ate chocolate. So she ate chocolate and she went fucking blind, but none of it was real. Um... Well, I I guess it is real. The placebo effect is real in a lot of ways. So this is just a small portion of the document titled Analysis and Assessment of Gateway Process. 
And um, I initially wanted to read the entire thing and make it a big focus, but there's a bunch of science jargon involved and it's it's just not entertaining enough or interesting for a podcast. But if you're interested in reading it for yourself, just Google it. The Gateway Process um, PDF. Or just Google gatewayprocess.pdf and um, it was something that was released by the federal government in 2003 and it's a free download. Years before I ever heard of the gateway process, I was on a search for truth, and I still am. The gateway process was just further validation to ideas I had previously discovered. Though I'm someone that believes in the supernatural, um, I'm also a person that finds it important to know things, for sure. I love science, I love logic in a lot of ways, but I, I don't know, I'm somewhere in the middle. It's my biggest flaw to some degree. But this was empirical evidence that my intuition was working properly, that I was headed in the right direction all on my own, and that felt good. So maybe now you want to use similar knowledge or knowledge like this that makes changes in your life. You want to have the will to do something creative. You want to leave your boring ass job. You want to empower yourself in some new way. But what if you don't want to, you know, want to or can't go to a hypnotherapist or you don't have anyone to drive you around in a car that's bouncing exactly at four to seven hertz in order to induce you into a transcendental state or you don't know how to use biofeedback to trick your brain into thinking something more positive you're in luck today because i'm about to give you three techniques that are based on the practices that i mentioned and they're totally legit these practices have books written about them and you can practice them every day And it's said that if you keep a routine like this um, of spiritual practice for at least 30 days, you will see significant changes in your life. Um, I'm going to talk about something, a concept called the law of attraction. And really quick, I'm not going to keep you long because I got to get out of here. But the law of attraction, it's a set of techniques that, you know, you can use um, or that are based off of the three practices that I, I spoke about earlier in the gateway process. And you may have heard about the the laws of attraction. There's tons of books written about it. Uh, and the book that I use for reference is one of my favorites, and it's called Advanced Law of Attraction Techniques, written by Eddie Coronado. There's five practices you can start to use. Um, you can start to use that enhance your spiritual power and utilize it. Um, to better your life. And I'll, you know, I'll give you a couple more at the end too, after I go through these. So the first practice that you should use is a belief statement. A belief statement is carefully constructed. Uh, It's a statement. It's a carefully constructed statement that you repeat to yourself at least three to five times a day or more. And it's, it's going to help you reinforce a positive belief about yourself or your life and reality. An example of a belief statement would be, I believe that I will find a much better job that pays me lots of money. Or uh, another example would be, I want to believe that I will find a much better job that pays me lots of money. Or another one would be, I will find a partner that relates to me and loves me for who I am. You're going to take this statement, take some time, um, you know, to create a statement that is emotionally it, it, it inspires emotional excitement inside of you. You should feel something when you say it. Right in your chest, uh, and you know, in your solar plexus. Um, and that's a huge component. I can't really even say enough about how important it is that you feel something when you say this statement. And you may need about 30 minutes to kind of craft a perfect sentence. It should be between 12 to 15 words. Repeat it to yourself throughout the day. Make sure you write it down on a note card. Carry it around with you. Laminate it. Whatever you got to do, but keep it with you and repeat it throughout the day. The second practice would be to use a vision board, which is in alignment with the practice of biofeedback. How to make and use a vision board? Um, Well, it's simple. You just go to yourself and get a big-ass piece of cardstock from Walmart or something. You print out a bunch of pictures that are in alignment with the things that you want in your life. And you have to be specific. If you want a Tesla, find the one that you want, the color that you want, print it out, 
and you stick it on the vision board with a glue stick. Uh, same thing, like picture of your dream house, images of a country that you want to visit, um, a state that you want to live in, of an office you want to work in, you know, whatever. Just make sure that any images that you use, much like the, the statement, uh, the, the belief statement, it has to like bring out a positive emotion. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Um, you use your vision board once in the morning and once before you go to bed every day. And you can use your vision board by sitting down in front of it for three to five minutes a day and focusing on what your life would be like if you had the things that you put on your board. So, you know, imagine climbing into the Tesla on your vision board, vision board and sitting down and imagine walking around in your dream home or in your dream office or whatever. So the third technique is emotional visualization. It's a technique that's rooted in biofeedback, actually. And it's kind of similar to using a vision board, but minus the vision board. It involves imagining what your life would be like. And this is one of my favorite ones, by the way. Um, You're supposed to imagine what your life would be like if you had the thing that you're really wanting. If you're looking for a better job, you take yourself through an imagined day at your new job. What would you do when you woke up? What would you wear to your new job? How would you feel walking into your new office? What would your coworkers be like? What would your office environment be like? You know what I mean? Maybe your new job gives you weekends off. So how would you spend your weekends? Imagine your life minus all the problems that your current job brings you. And before you do all this, you're going to want to warm up first by waking up your senses. And that means taking three to five minutes to think about your favorite meal or thinking about or imagining a sensation that's very pleasant to you. If your favorite meal is, I don't know, French fries, you know, for instance, what are all the physical sensations that you feel when you have this food? Are the fries hot at first? Imagine breaking one of the fries apart and watching the steam rise from the soft potato-y center. Imagine the smell. Imagine how they feel in your hand, how they taste when you chew them up in your mouth. Shit like that. And this will get you started on being able to now have a, a stronger sense and vision of what it is that you imagine. I, I do things like I'll, I'll lie down on the floor, sit in a com- comfortable position. And this is when I'm doing my vision board or anything. Um, I'll lie down or sit down and I'll I'll just literally take myself through a day. Like I wake up and you know, you take a shower, you put your shoes on, imagine checking your bank account and there being plenty of money in it and, you know, stuff like that. So number four, the fourth technique is mirror work. And this is akin to hypnosis. So you're going to grab a mirror, relax, hold the mirror up to your face, look into your reflection and say something like, you may have had limiting beliefs in the past, but that stops today. You're not only capable, but you deserve for good things to happen to you. This is a start of a new life and the end of generational trauma and misfortune. So you're going to repeat this practice two times a day while looking into the mirror, a hand mirror or go into the bathroom and say it, do it before, you know, in the morning before you get your day started and do it at the end of the night, right before you're about to go to bed. And, um, I think I kept referring to this next one as a belief, uh, or I think I kept referring to my intention statement as a belief statement, but a belief statement and intention statement are different. Sorry if I'm confusing you guys, but number five is the belief statement. And this is much like the intention statement, except it's meant to reinforce all this positivity and these thoughts and practices throughout the day. Examples would be, I believe good things can happen to me. They're short and concise, very to the point. Another one would be, I believe I can be prosperous, or I believe I have the power to change my own life. And again, all five of these practices, everything that you choose to repeat to yourself or enter, allow into your, you know, your mind, they should make you feel good. If they don't inspire any type of feelings, you're not doing it right and you need to try something else. I know that your first inclination with any of these things is to like, put a big stack of money on your vision board or say things like, I will have a million dollars tomorrow. Like chances are it's not going to happen. I don't like to be a naysayer and say you can't do these things because I think anything's possible, but start with something that you can actually believe. That's the most important thing. If you can believe it, you can achieve it. I hate to say that, but it's true. 
Um, so these are techniques that people have used, including myself, to make changes in my life. Uh, other techniques, um, gratitude. Gratitude is really important because it makes you feel great. Um, and it's, it's, it's important to be grateful. Wake up and literally say, you know what? I'm grateful to be alive today. Or I'm grateful to be in the position that I'm in. I'm grateful for this food that I have. I'm, I'm grateful that things are the way that they are. Um, another technique, meditation. We talked a little earlier about transcendental meditation and how it can be difficult to achieve an altered state, but could be accessed through, you know, a car ride or the hum of an AC, but you don't need to do meditation to, to transcend all the time. There's always different types of meditation and some of them is just sitting down and praying or breathing um, and just letting yourself relax. If you're having a bad day and you're thinking negative thoughts and you're starting to spiral, sit your ass down, keep your back straight up or lean against the wall and um, just take some deep breaths. Don't think about anything. And if things do pop up into your head, it's okay. Let them come and let them go. The Gateway document was written in 1983 um, and YouTube didn't even exist yet. So now you can actually go on YouTube and look up something called binaural beats in regards to transcendental meditation. And it's music and sounds that are set to certain frequencies. And you can easily look up something in the range of five to seven hertz if you want to do transcendental meditation. So also you can check that out. Uh, there's millions of practices, I'm sure. Not millions, but there's a lot. There's hundreds, definitely. Um, and all of them are rooted in basically just trusting yourself and learning how to manage yourself. Because when you can do that, you can do anything. In conclusion, what we learned is that the human mind is very powerful. Just like in previous episodes, we've learned that humans have created ways to suppress our natural urges and and powers with religion and other fear-based tactics of suppression or oppression, whichever one you want to use. And we've lost some of that ability to reach our highest selves because of these things. The key to living your best life is dependent on you. There's a lot of people I'm sure to blame for things that have happened and continue to happen in your life, but you're the only one that can change it. You're the only one that has the ability to respond. We've had the power all along and it's not going to be easy, but nothing worth obtaining is ever really easy. Now, is it? If you enjoyed this show, feel free to like and subscribe. I don't know how you like a show, but you can definitely subscribe to it. Um, I'm on Apple Podcasts now. I'm on Spotify and pretty much anywhere where you can find podcasts. You can uh, find me on social media at Dean X Martian on Instagram, at Martian Dean on Twitter. On Facebook, I'm Dean Martian and... Uh, yeah, I have a website. I don't really know what I'm doing with it yet. I'm sure I'm going to put the podcast on there at some point. Um, that is uh, martianartsllc.com or deanxmartian.com. Uh, yeah, just get in touch with me. Holla at you, boy. I also have a SoundCloud, which you can find all these songs that I make. I love SoundCloud, so hit me up on there. Uh, I think I'm just Dean Martian on there. should be able to find me. Um, I have links to that page on most of my other sources as well. So feel free, hit me up. Um, if you wanted to chat, chat about the show, you can go to the website and hit the contact forum, fill it out and send it to send me a message. You can also directly message me via email. Uh, my name is Dean at DeanXMartian.com. That's my email address. You can drop me a line and say, hey, your show is bullshit or you can do this better or you could do this worse you know, whatever, hit me up. Uh, and that's it. That's, that's the end of this episode. I hope it helps somebody feel better or have hope about a situation or something. So if I can do that, I've, I feel like I've done my job. All right, y'all till next time. Peace. Yo, it's me.
first time I hit it Blow trees where it's leave like autumn autumn leaves In the breeze when I breathe I just feel I don't think cause I'm off the wall Pictures in my head, take them out the frame and fold them up Origami, take shape and take off I just think of what I want, no I got it Hop the fence to the next dimension Manifest when I apply my intention Juke you, they like, ooh A jukin' just finish you in one move Crowd wasn't saying shit Sound like live bands now Might be two live crews Think I'm playing when I say I'm growing cold-hearted Press any of my buttons, it'll start shit Way before FUBU, yet to play in the yes An 88 baby was talking full sentences Granny used to play and say I'm reincarnated Little grown nigga can't tell him a damn thing Look, I like biology, but don't need a microscope To see the culture of the street it got inside of me Numbers and data projections ain't in my favor Lab rat escaped here with cunning impatience Out of the cage, call me the brain Yo, vominos, problem no, you're comfortable Hate to say it, niggas is lame Knew I'd end up like this, not psychic, just nice gold bars paving the way.